still listening to This Is My Story. I'm Ruth O'Reilly-Smith. This show is all about sharing stories of how God's amazing love has changed lives forever. Today's episode is with pastor and author Dan Sneed. He overcame a low self-esteem stemming from his experiences as a child, and he's gone on to impact countless lives through his work. His story begins with a confident young boy who is passionate about Jesus. I, I was the world's youngest pastor. I would get all the neighborhood kids in our backyard. I had these tree stumps and rocks that were the chairs. And I had an old wooden orange crate that was my pulpit. And I would get every Saturday morning, probably 15. Once a month, I would tell them to invite their parents. And they actually would, and some of the parents would come. But um, we would sing. I have no idea what we sang. And then I would tell them about Jesus. So I knew uh, that I was called to ministry at seven years old. At that point, my parents were not walking with the Lord. But my grandparents, there was a strong Christian influence there. At this point in his young life, Dan was confident, secure, and happy. Life was really good. I, I, at school, I always say it, at school, I was not the teacher's, just the teacher's pet. I was the principal's favorite, you know, kind of, if you're going to aim, go, go to the top. So I had a lot of very, very positive um, influence and, and relationships. At age eight, Dan's family moved to a new area, which meant transferring to a new school. As he tried to settle into his new surroundings, he struggled with one particularly difficult member of the teaching staff. I had a teacher that absolutely did not like me. And she did everything in her power to prove she didn't like me. I mean, she would do things like, if I raised my hand to answer a question, she would call on somebody else. If everybody else had raised their hand to answer a question and I didn't, she would call on me. And she was constantly doing things. You know, kids can uh, pick up when an adult doesn't like them. I couldn't figure out why this lady didn't like me. So the more I tried to get her to like me, the more she disliked me. I would do all my homework, bring it back to school, and she would just happen to lose it every week. So at the end of the school year, Dan just Dan doesn't do his homework, so there was nothing but zeros. And so I was really insecure. And it was amid the backdrop of this fractious relationship with his teacher that an incident occurred that would change his childhood permanently. There was this uh, one particular day, which kind of was a life changer for me. Uh, it was about in the middle of school year, and I needed to go to the toilet. And I needed to get there immediately. I should have been there five minutes ago. So I just stood up, ready to go, ready to get out as quickly as I could, and raised my hand and said, teacher, I've got to go to the toilet. And her immediate response was, no. Well, 
I, I didn't think she understood exactly. You know, there's a lot of kids at that age that are kind of chronic bathroom goers every few minutes. Can I go to the bathroom? And I, I can understand a teacher saying, no, you were there five minutes ago. You don't need to go again. But that wasn't me. And I needed to get there and I needed to get there quickly. So I just stayed standing, raised my hand again and said, teacher, I really have to go to the toilet. And her next response was, you learn to control your kidneys. Well, I wasn't having a problem with my kidneys. I had diarrhea and I couldn't wait and I didn't wait. And, you know, just kind of let your mind go as far as it will go. And that was exactly what happened. Boys and girls at that age are not particularly kind and gentle. So right away, you could hear all over the classroom, oh, it stinks in here. Look at teacher, look what he did. Look what he did. Instead of her coming and trying to help me out of the situation, she decided to join in with the kids. And, and I remember her first words to me when she came over to my desk were, you dirty boy. And she still would not let me get up and go to the bathroom, to the toilet, wouldn't let me. So probably the next 25, 30 minutes, I just had to sit there. And the boys and girls in the class would only keep it going so long and then they would settle down. But when they would settle down, she would pass by my desk again and say something like, oh, it stinks over here. And of course that would start them all over again. And this became like the event of the third grade. I mean, they were standing on their desks looking down at me. I'm grateful that it was in the day before cell phones because there would have been pictures and everything else. Finally, after about 25 minutes, the bell rings and I can now get up and get out of the classroom. But, you know, everybody in the classroom knows what's happened. But the minute I walk out that door, there's all the other kids. The bell is rung, so there's all the other kids. And some things you just don't hide very well. And so, but I had to go, I had to get out. So I got up, out I, out I went, and you could begin to hear it up and down the hall. You could, they were pointing and they were being, look at him, look what happened, look what he did. So I walked out past the boys' bathroom, out across the playground, out the gate and just walked home. When I got home, I was there much earlier than I was supposed to be. And my mother saw right away what, what had happened. And I said, Mom, I had an accident at recess at break time. And um, I, I, I was too embarrassed to tell anybody. So I just snuck out and came home and she understood why you know an eight-year-old in that condition will go to where they feel safe and so I went home I didn't tell my mother the truth I just wanted it over with I did not it had to be my fault I didn't want her to go down I didn't want any more embarrassment I just wanted it over with so I, I didn't tell her what really happened I said it happened at break this moment in his life would change Dan from a confident child who held church services in his back garden to a shy and closed-off young boy. 
the rest of my school years were, um, I, I, you know, the best word I could ever use would be they were hell. They, it was, that was the rest of my school years. I have no good memories of school after that experience. I'm not sure what, why certain things leave such an impact on us, but this left a huge scar in my life. And I went from this very open, you know, get the kids in the backyard uh, to just a total recluse, to the point that I could not hold a conversation with anybody. I was so locked up, I, I could tell stories of crying myself to sleep night after night after night. Uh, I could tell stories of writing notes to my parents, telling them that I was gonna kill myself. Uh, obviously, I did not kill myself. They never got the notes, but that's how bad it got. And it, it um, I didn't see any reason that I should even be alive. I, I didn't see any reason, I didn't see anything good. And, and of course my relationship with Jesus was really kind of a love-hate relationship by that point. And it was a big decision after Dan left school that would really put this love-hate relationship to the test. After graduated from high school, I went to Bible college. Why? I, yeah, that was that's <laughs> uh, that was my question because I couldn't hold a conversation. You know, how would you go into ministry if you can't talk? How do you go into ministry if you hate God? And I did. I would have never said I hated God, but deep inside, he was responsible for all of this. And so I hated him and yet I I really did love him. So it was a very confusing. But I went to Bible school. I think it was because everybody expected it. From the time I was seven, everybody knew that Dan's going into the ministry. Uh, and at seven, it was great. At 17, it was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. But I also didn't have another plan. I, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And so I went to Bible college, and I hated every square inch of the place. And I hated the God that sent me there. After about six months, I decided this is really stupid. What are you doing here? There's no way you're going into the ministry. What are you doing here? And so I decided that I was going to check out a Bible school. So I went to the dean's office. I didn't tell the secretary what I wanted. I just asked if he was there. And she said, he'll be back in about an hour. Can you come back? And I agreed to do it. Well, I went back up to class. And in this class, they always begin with worship. And they begin singing, and I hated it. I hated it. But, you know, I think sometimes the deeper the pain in our lives, the better the masks we wear. And I had become a master at masks by that point. So we went up to class. They began with worship. I kind of got my angelic mask on and you would have looked over at me and thought he is really into this but inside I was a volcano ready to explode
And finally, I came to the place I thought, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? I will never do it again. And I dropped my hands. And when I dropped my hands, it just happened to coincide with the end of the song. And everything went absolutely quiet. And I thought every eye in that room was staring at me. And then suddenly one of the students began to speak out a prayer, began to speak out uh, some kind of message that, that I really knew that God was speaking to me through. And I'll, I'll never forget, the word was, you can leave here today like you planned to, and I'll go with you and I'll bless you because I love you. Or you can stay and I'll touch your life and I'll use you to touch the lives of many other people. But you can leave as you plan to, and I'll go with you and bless you because I love you. And I, I remember tears coming down my face, and it, by that point, it had been years since I cried. Uh, I looked, kind of looked up at the ceiling, and I said, but God, I don't even like you. And you know, it was amazing to me that that didn't, you know, God's pretty secure in who he is. And I think he already had the idea. But um, I also went on to say that if you really mean what you just said, see, I heard God say, I love you. He had probably said it a million times, but I didn't hear it. But that day I heard God say, I love you. And that went right to my heart. I was just overwhelmed with God saying, I love you, I'm gonna go with you, regardless of what you do. And that was overwhelming to me. And so I, I basically came to the place standing there that I said, God, I, I don't see any, I don't know how I could ever go into ministry. I, there's just too much stuff. But if that's, what you, if that's what you want, if you want me to stay here, okay. This day at Bible College changed everything. A spiritual mentor would walk with him into ministry and it would go on to touch the lives of many. This pastor kind of, like I said, pushed me and a part of it would be pushing me to teach, pushing me to do different things even when I didn't want to do it. So that helped a lot because that you, you're kind of forced into doing something. Uh, you believe these lies so deeply it's, it's easy to keep retreating to them. So that, that helped me a great deal. Um, then it was just, you know, over the next months, over the next years, the process really probably was several years. And I began to talk about my story and some of the things I had experienced. And I began to realize that people were relating to it. I would be telling my story and suddenly I'd look down and there's someone with tears running down their face and I realized they weren't feeling sympathy for me. It was touching something in them. And so that's probably where I began to talk about it more freely. It really does require a great deal of vulnerability where you're willing to really open up. And I discovered that the more I opened up, the more I was healed 
but also other people's lives were touched. Though it's risky because you're telling, you're talking about things in your life that you just assume nobody knew about. Mm. But it was in that vulnerability that a lot more healing came to me. Fast forward many years later, Dan's walk with God had transformed his world and had renewed and restored his identity. He had a wife and children when he received some truly awful news. One of his adopted sons, Doug, had been murdered. He came to live with us when he was about 11 years old. And by the time he was killed, he was probably about 20. I was actually in Switzerland when it happened. It was unbelievable to me. One that God would let it happen. There was also the feeling that if I would have been there, it wouldn't have happened, which is ridiculous. I was angry at God. I was angry at myself for not being there. I was angry at the young man that killed my son. He confessed, so there was no trial that we had to go through, and we were very grateful for that. But we would go to court every time there was anything to do with this case because we wanted to put a face on our son. We didn't want in Los Angeles where we live, huge city, lots of people killed. We didn't want him to be just a number, so we would go to court. I remember the day that the judge was going to sentence this young man. And on the way to court that morning, I really felt God speak to me and just basically say, I want you to forgive him. Well, my immediate response to that was, no, there's no way I can do that. I mean, he killed my son and I'm supposed to just forgive him? I, God, you can't expect that from me. It was just a few months after Doug had been killed. So I, I, there, all the emotions were still there. So I just kind of pushed it aside. And a little further down the road on the way to court, uh, again, there comes that voice, I want you to forgive him. And I want you to express your forgiveness to him. Well, to me, that was like, God, you just can't ask me to do that. And there's no mechanism within the U.S. court system that would necessarily uh, give me a place to, to express it to him. But got to court, and the judge began the, the uh, court session. And the first thing he said was, before I sentence this young man, uh, Mr. Sneed, would you like to say something? And I'm, I mean, my, my immediate response was, God, this is dirty. You talk to the judge. This is not fair. This is not good. But I knew God was speaking to me. So I, I stood up and I started telling a little bit about Doug's story. And I wanted a face on him. I want, this was a person. This wasn't a number. And I wanted to put a face on him. So I t he was a champion swimmer, first place in the city of Los Angeles in high school. So he, he could have been an Olympic swimmer. His coach wanted him to. Um, so I talked about that. I talked a little bit about our relationship. And then I said to this young man, I said, you've not only taken my son's life, but you've destroyed your own. 
and his parents were sitting there. And I remember saying to them, I, I can't imagine the pain you must be going through. And then I looked at this young man who obviously wouldn't look at me, and I understood that. And I, I said to him, I said, I want you to know that my family prays for you every day. And I said, I want you to know that we've chosen to forgive you. And when I said that, the courtroom was absolutely silent. And the judge just looked down at me. He opened his mouth so wide, he just sat there staring at me like he had never heard those words in his courtroom before. I don't know what it did in that young man's life, but I know what it did in me. And I walked out of that courtroom a free man. With all these events that Dan has experienced throughout his life, he has gone on to learn some remarkable things about himself, his identity, and about God working in him and through him. I'm convinced that out of the wounds of our life, there's messages that come. And those messages are most often lies because they come out of hurts, they come out of wounds. And they're not messages that we necessarily process. Holding on to all that old stuff is, will only bring destruction. I know that you, God has complete freedom for you that you're locked into believing things that really aren't true. And Jesus wants to set you free. And his love will overwhelm you if you'll let him do it. That was This Is My Story with Dan Sneed, author of the book, The Power of a New Identity overcoming a broken self-image. Make sure you share and subscribe and to hear more podcasts from UCB, you can download the UCB Player app or search UCB wherever you get your podcasts. UCB.co.uk